When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Have you read that book by Eamon Dunphy on... No, don't talk about Eamon Dunphy. He once used that awful word by my father, which I'll never forget, which is journeyman. It's one of those words that covers. Do you know when they say yeah, journeyman want... acting, you go, you don't know about that. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. majorative. That's a big one yeah. too. Sorry, have we started? Okay. No, no, no. It sounds like we started, doesn't it? No, we haven't started. Okay. I'll do me intro and then we start. Okay. We're just jabbering. <laughs> about that music from United? It was almost oh, the same, wasn't How it? How did it go? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll yeah, my dad it. was DJ. Yeah. Yeah. Can you start? DJ at United. My father. We'll get to everything. But I want Paul to look at me kindly and then I will start. Hello everyone. This is Colin Schindler welcoming you to another edition of Football Ruined My Life. And this week we are casting our invariably critical eye on football and fiction. Footballers portrayed on television, the cinema screen and on the page. And to help the familiar voices of John Holmes and me to do this, we have invited two distinguished actors who have in their younger days both portrayed fictional footballers. On my right, in the red corner from Manchester in God's own county of Lancashire, we have an actor with whom I worked closely for many years as his producer and scriptwriter and to whom, to both our amazements, I am still talking. He is a Manchester United supporter referred to in every script by some character as Mr Lovejoy, to which he always replies, just Lovejoy. You will know him as Ian McShane, but for me he is just McShane. And on my left, and glowering at him in the claret and amber corner, from Bradford in the county of Yorkshire, wherever that is... God's own county, I'm sorry. ...is the actor, author and Bradford City supporter George Layton. These two thespians first met in 1962 in London when Manchester United were struggling in the first division and Bradford had recently been relegated to the recently formed fourth division. They were at the time both students at RADA and if there is still any glowering it might just have something to do with the theft of a chip. McShane, can you recount the grisly story of what happened when George tried to steal one of your chips? You do remember, George. I don't. The Italian restaurant around the corner? Olivelli's. Olivelli's, yes. I remember that. that. I wouldn't steal it. I just tried. No, I, I wouldn't yes, steal you did, a chip you from did. you. You tried oh. and I stabbed you with a fork. I'll never forget. Oh, but I still love you. Gosh. Well, I, I remember the you. very first time I saw Ian McShane. I walked into our class at RADA in, what would it be, September in 1960. I saw the blonde god Martin Jarvis. I saw a little gnome, which turned out to be Mike Lee. And then I saw the most beautiful man I'd ever seen in the world. <laughs> Ian Mc- oh, and he's still as beautiful today. Look at him. George, I'd like to apologise <laughs> deeply for stabbing you. Well, I'm sorry you stabbed. I don't even remember it. years ago, I, but I remember what, you. Yeah. I wonder what that scar was. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I assume then that you both shared a love of football right from the beginning. Not really. We didn't talk about well, it. Did well, we, George? Not really. I can't remember. Enough, then, I was but... thinking about it. There was a rather football team. Yeah, no, there wasn't. There was. No, there couldn't have been. No. I joined it. Maybe thinking... you weren't good enough. Or something. But, anyway, Roy yeah, Marsden. Yeah, Roy Marsden. Oh, please. Right? Roy Marsden. Yeah, yeah, Roy Marsden. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I used to play in a proper league. We played in a cup. We used to have a amateur team called Stamford Bridge. And we used to play against an Italian waiter team called Spaghetti. That's why you didn't play for Ryder, because you yeah, probably weren't playing. Yeah. Can you let me finish, George? Yes, Thank you very much. <laughs> the only trouble was that it was Sunday morning at nine o'clock in Hyde Park, so we were all seen vomiting into bushes before, <laughs> before the kick-off. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> But did you share your love of, of your in respective teams, Bradford City and... and not really. Yeah, we don't think we ever talked about, uh, really. No, uh, we I were mean, actors, love. You can all go around the world talking about your Manchester United, your Manchester City, your Leicester. Who's interested in Bradford City? I had nothing to talk about. This is the difference now, you see. In the early 1960s, football was not acknowledged as the universal culture. It was working-class culture, and you, as actors, coming from the North were probably meant to speak with RP, weren't you? It wasn't until Albert Finney and Tom Courtney and people like that came along and Alan Bates that regional accents were even held to be saleable. What we've got now is football absolutely rules the world. Walk along any street now, overhear conversations in trains and all sorts of places. People just talk about football. Well, and I, having a team yeah, is an do, essential... I, I remember, I mean, I've been, over the years, seeing games everywhere, and it's always been a universal language. I mean, I was at the World Cup in America in 78. I was with Nick in a movie with Franco Nero, and we used to get down to the sports centre in LA, and they'd have it on the big screens downtown. And it was great because it was like multicultural. You sat there with them and they put the games on the big screens and the big Germans, Italians, and everybody would be sitting there watching it. And it was phenomenal. I would agree with you yeah. that abroad that was the case. But in this country, you were in a world where it was actually class dictated. And it oh, was total. A, the, but the, I mean, don't forget the reason why United to... didn't fly back from Munich. They had to be back on Friday. Otherwise, Hardacre said you can't play on the Saturday picture. That was the kind of, you will do as we are, that sort of mini thinking. When he said, you know, the European couple never last. And we don't want British people going into those games. We, want British teams we didn't to bother to enter the World Cup. No, if I you know, remember. it was disgraceful. And until comparatively recently, it has still been a class thing. If you think back to when Sky came in, in the first place, they got the football and you went into a working class area and they got Sky dishes all over. Sky's problem was they couldn't get into the middle class homes, so they bought cricket. Cricket then made it, of course we do have Sky, but for the cricket, and they got golf. And then actually these people watching it found that they enjoyed the football more because it's a better game. And now... It has become classless, although the players are still overwhelmingly working-class boys, and that's one of the reasons they get treated badly in most sports, as the players are all from the working class, and they get treated badly, don't they? But, right. but Ian, was, sorry, Ian was saying it was 1970 when he went to this downtown LA. But that was America. No, that's the point I'm making. 78. 78. We're talking about 1960 when yeah. there was no... T- if you didn't go to the game... You didn't see any football. There's nothing Correct. on television. The yep. big day was, of course, the FA Cup. Yeah. I mean, that was so exciting, wasn't it? The, yes. The, yeah, you would start in the morning at watching. Or something, yes, it? Yeah. going to your local football team with me, Bradford City, and sometimes Bradford Park Avenue. And for my father, who worked really hard, never earned a lot of money, it was just the highlight of his week. In fact, I was thinking about this. I never went with him, actually. <laughs> you know, he'd go with his 
pal who had a car and I'd walk to the ground. But going to Valley Parade in the late 50s, mid-50s actually, what I was talking about, it was so different. You said several times, television just changed it. Right, right we've completely wandered off the topic and we've gone into the undergrowth, which I'd like to get back from because what I want to talk to the two actors about is fictional football. Right. Does it work on television? Does it work on cinema screen? So let's start with George first because he was the first one to do it. George was in the first soap opera on British television about football. Yes, it was done in, out of the old Gosta Green Studios in Birmingham and it was called United. Do you remember the name of the team, actually? No. Brentwich United. I'd been in that studio a year before in another soap opera called Swizzle Week. How I found out I left was a bit like killing your sister George. I read the script and it said, Eustace, Birmingham, here I come. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, oh, didn't we tell you? It's your last episode. Anyway, that's how I left the series. But a year later, I was asked to come back to play Jimmy Stokes in United. And it was very exciting because this was 1965. Yeah. So the boutiques, Manchester, George Best. It was very exciting to think we were going to be footballers. Jimmy Stokes was the uh, sort of wonder footballer on the right wing and we played in Stoke City colours. It was black and white, of course. When it went to film, you saw the bald pate of... Stanley Matthews representing me. But it was a very exciting time. I remember the cast very clearly. There was Stephen Yardley, who I think lives in France. He was the goalkeeper, Kenny Craig. The manager was David Lodge, who was a big mucker of Peter Sellers <laughs> yeah, in, in every Peter Sellers film. I thought his name was John Breslin. John Breslin took over when, ah. when David Lodge left. And he was a very good company leader, actually. And, and how, how close did you feel that you were getting to the truth about football as it then was? Met Stanley Matthews, it was exciting. We had a kick around with him. I don't think we got really... Well, it was, it was all, mostly it, a studio-based soap opera, wasn't it? Very much so studio-based. So when you went on film to shoot the football sequences... Well, I, I what, can't remember shooting much of what I say. He went to Stoke City, you know, showed bits of Stoke City playing and then came back to us. But I can't remember filming very much, to be honest. It was twice weekly, so there wasn't much time for filming. Who else was in it? Ben, ben Howard, he was a character. Ben. Yeah, the thing about Ben Howard... I used to kick the crap out yeah. of him in charity games. His, his brother used to manage the That's, pretty things. Yeah, man on, man on, man on. Yeah. That's what you'll say. No, but, yeah. When you doubt when you're doing a football program, yell, <laughs> man on, man on. <laughs> I've got to say a story about Ben Howard. We were talking about being gay, and Ben said, oh, I could never be gay. I said, what are you talking about? You, how do you know you? He said, well, I tried it once. I said, well, I said, well that's a bit gay to be trying. He said, no, I tried it twice to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> the I don't know what's happened to Ben, but he was a character. I can't think who else was in it. Ballard Bark. You know the general in, 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 in Faulty in, in Towers? Mm. He, oh, was, he, was, he was on the, uh, the yeah. board. He's the one who said to me, we were talking one day, he said, George, if, if you ever want to be a successful actor, you've got to be totally ruthless like Rex Harrison and Wilfred Hyde. You've got to be prepared to grind people into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Never really happened, did it, George? No, I'm too nice. No, exactly. That's what I was <laughs> and uh, tell us the story about when you wanted to leave. Well, I did go in to get a deposit on a house. That's what my plan was. In those days, I don't even remember, Ian, you were a bit frightened of getting typecast. I don't think it happens now. You just want to work. And I said, well, I'm going for nine months, nine months, and that is it. So nine months came up, and I was transferred for 30000 And I was furious. I wanted to leave, but I was appalled. The script writer could have said... Fifty thousand, you know. This is this is post Albert Quicksall times. You know, thirty thousand. Oh, but sixty-five. That thirty thousand yeah. is a journeyman yeah, kind yeah, of a journeyman. That, that word again. <laughs> yeah. That word again. I don't know why I left. Really, I, I was enjoying it. In fact, I left just after England won the World Cup in 1966. Well, the, the show folded, and almost immediately you left. It was no more than two seasons. I mean, maybe three well, seasons. Well, eight, they, they eighty odd episodes. They shouldn't have transferred me. You see, the, the team could not manage without me. That little Bobby Dazzler on the right wing, fantastic. Whole thing just collapsed. At one point, there was a complaint from Wolves, wasn't there? That the story of United was too closely 
mirroring wolves. I never heard that. Yeah, wolves, having been the top side they were a big during the 1950s, fell on sort of harder times during the 1960s. And that was us, was it? And I can't remember a sort of controversy about this, that yeah. Wolverhampton Wanderers had complained that this story, they were pinching the storyline uh, off their fate. I can't even manage to remember who wrote it now, actually. Maybe you wrote it, It Colin. was quite topical, because I remember being impressed that at one point they were referring to Peter Osgood, who'd had a very good game like the previous week, mm. and it was already it was on the show. The I think it was quite good, actually. We had, I mean, there was one odd episode when I was I used to play the guitar a little bit, so they had me in a disco singing Where Have All the Flowers Gone or something like that. The most embarrassing thing I've ever done, you know. Uh, I, I prefer... Where have all the halfbacks gone? <laughs> Long time passing. Yeah, there were some good footballing stories, yeah. We'll move on a few years now. I don't want to ask McShane. Soap opera was the name of the United game, but you made a big movie, I mean, called Yesterday's Hero, where you played the... Rod the, the Tell us about Yesterday's Hero. I spent the summer of 66 doing a series in Manchester, You Can't Win, by William E. Cooper. Remember, they were very popular post-World War II. Scenes from Provincial Life. Scenes from Provincial Life. Yes, I remember that. I was doing that, and I was in Manchester for the whole of uh, 66, the summer, and became great friends with George and Mike Summerby. Those were the days when you could cross enemy lines, you know. It was fine. My dad used to play. So, obviously, I love football. And then later, it's around about the late 70s, I'd see George occasionally when I'd talk about things. And we used to go to this club called Tramps, the nightclub. Mm. And I knew that forever. Uh, Jackie Collins and her husband. And Jackie said, I'm writing this film, which is, of course, loosely based on George, about this footballer who couldn't hold his drink, if you like, and get out of the game and then comes back and gets involved with the owner's wife. The owner was a pop star, because then was sort of a la Kelton. It was Paul Nicholas. Paul Nicholas oh, yeah. played the, the guy who had a girlfriend, American singer, played by Suzanne Summers, who was in that very popular show, Three's Company, or whatever. It went yeah. for years, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then Adam Faith, that was the funniest, playing the coach of the team. Won't you go out there and uh, tackle him hard? <laughs> and uh, slide in if you can, you know? And, 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 uh, and it was directed by, this is how crazy it was, in a sense, actually he didn't do a bad job, Neil Leifer. Neil Leifer was Sports Illustrated photographer who took the great picture, if you remember, of Ali standing over Liston, the shot oh, from yeah, above. Yeah, of course, yeah. He was the top sports photographer in the world. Yeah. But they brought him to direct it. And actually, the film is what it is. It's a poppy version of a football or whatever. But the football, some of the sequences weren't bad. The hysterical part is when you train for it. We trained at Maidstone. Then we played at Ipswich in that very good time. Bobby Robson, 1979. No, 79, love. We made it in that year. Because we played in this Colours of Southampton, because they were in the final that year, yellow and blue, remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 so we did that. They intercut it with film of the actual final. But some of the stuff wasn't bad. The worst part is playing in front of the fans. My God. Ipswich let us play. They let us have the ground 45 minutes before they actually took the pitch. So from like 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. So we had this thing planned out, ball goes out of the wing, it's pushed down, I come in sliding in the back of the net, whatever. Well, the fucking abuse was unbelievable. <laughs> Every time I got there, you can't fucking ass out, and then slide in the net, and then, you know, all these faces going, yeah, yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ, I know what, you know what I mean, John? You well, know what that's what I'm saying. You came from acting, you see. You can't the stand up excuse me, I'm an absent of a footballer. <laughs> in that act with short son, you can't do that. But he the was... old Vic, and, you know, in the West End, the front row don't shout, you're fucking useless. <laughs> oh, they do where I come <laughs> from. <laughs> <laughs> the nearest to filming like that was the Showbiz 11, playing for the Showbiz 11. And there's always been this link between 
showbiz and sport, isn't there? I mean, I'm a, I'm a tennis groupie, I'm a football yeah. groupie, but playing for the showbiz 11 was great. I remember playing once when I was in United, we were mobbed. The headline said, Gary Logan mobbed. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get my name right. <laughs> I mean, it was so, so, he was just a character. <laughs> we went to the World Cup in 1970 because we played in this team, Stamford Bridge, yeah. and the guy called Peter Schillingford, who was a commercials producer, we've got this group of players that play on a Sunday morning. The next to me he says, do we all fancy going to the World Cup? He said, we're going to make this 20 million film. Michael Parkinson did the narration, and we all got to go to Mexico. Fantastic. For 10 days, arriving on the quarterfinal. We all got out there. It was Nicole Williamson. Tom was there. Ian Lafrenet, Dougie Haywood. We had, like, a selection of writers, actors. It was an interesting group of yeah, people, you yeah. know? And we arrived... Yeah. The day England lost. And then we went on to watch the last... And it was great to sit in the Aztec Stadium. 120,000 people to watch Brazil beat Italy in that final. One of the greatest finals of all time. That was amazing. Yeah. I mean, because it was just the stadium. It was right. way over full. And all the Brazilians who couldn't play us came up and sat with us without their tickets. It was jammed. The Italians sent out roses, individual roses over the ground. And then I was the designated driver. God knows why. I was drinking as much as anybody else then that night. Driving down the Avenue Juarez in Mexico City going, Brazil, <laughs> It was one of those. You, know, you yeah. talk about La Frenet there. And surely the best ever episode of whatever happened to the light. Oh, when lads. Jimmy said about what, what, that fateful day. No, the one where they were waiting. They tried to avoid knowing the result because they oh, wanted to watch the match on television later. And they were running around, they were running away when somebody opened the paper up in the pub. Then there was a headline of which they just caught half about England... England F. England, England F. F. And they kept imagining England failed to score. England... England <laughs> fantastic. You know, it's fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> what have you. And then they got back. And of course, it was rained off. It was England it's, flooded. It's a similar experience. Yeah. I once wanted to watch the Grand National... So I recorded it and wanted to avoid the result, and that was the year it got called off because the IRA. <laughs> John, John let me tell you a story about that. It was called No Sanctuary, I think, the episode. Yes, yes um, it was, because they go to a church. Yeah, because uh, I was in some of the local yeah. But the villain, or the one who was going to spoil it for him, was called Brian Richard Glover. Moore. It was Brian Glover. Glover. Was it Brian Glover? Yeah, Brian Glover. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. All right, well, it was on the radio. Uh, it as was well. redone for the radio. Yeah, well, let me tell you. So I was in the car, and... I got home early, so I said, I've got, to, I've got to know what the play England failed. England. I, I was sitting there thinking, what, what's the ending? I can't remember the When it came up, I was the one who played the part. I couldn't remember doing it even. I never remember doing it on the radio. You were in that episode, were you? On the radio version. Are you? I know, I have no recall of actually doing the, doing the, the show. There's a moment where the, where the car's driving down the street they're, they're, and they can see the newspaper cell at the end of the street. And to avoid it, they both duck down. Yes. And then it looks like the car is driving by itself with yeah. nobody in it. You've got a good memory. But well, you also had that reference in one of the Lightlanders when Jimmy Boland, when the return oh. of the Lightlanders, when he came back. And, and yeah. Roddy Buse just said, when did it all fall apart? Yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. And Jimmy, with that door, lovely went, that fateful day. 14th, July the 14th, right. 1970. England 2, Germany 3. <laughs> <laughs> it's a no, great no, series. No, no, that's an important that was it. We mentioned Brian Glover there. Brian Glover, of course, he played in one of the great football scenes. Oh, great job, Bobby Charlton. He played Bobby Charlton. He's one of those genius moments. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, what, you're not Dennis Law this week. I'm Dennis Law's in the wash. 
<laughs> he said, and it's the fair head, slightly bald, and he was completely bald, Charlton to kick off. Oh, it was. <laughs> great movie. Yeah, great, great movie, as great. you say. And the football scene oh. in that, we all loved at the time, and him yeah. shouting at Casper, Casper. Yeah. And that reminded me, George, you wrote a story. I think it was adapted for the radio, but not no, I wrote on it for film, the radio. I wrote it for the, the radio. Fib. The Fib. It was the scene the there where you play a boy a bit like Casper in Kess, who hates football he, he, and doesn't want to go. He's a self-confessed coward from a single parent. You never know who his dad was. I have a theory it was in, probably an American airman or something. And he tells a lie. Tells, when does a fib become a lie? And he tells a fib to his mum, I've got earache, because he doesn't want to play football. He hates it. He's always the last one to be picked and all that. Anyway, it goes on and on. It's a miserable time at football, and he's being bullied by the school bully, and it's about his kit as well and all that. They all laugh at him. And so he says, this belonged to my uncle. Who's your uncle? Bobby Charlton. Long story short, they go to town to see the Christmas lights being switched on in the town square. It's all based on Bradford. And who's the mystery celebrity? Bobby Charlton. He goes on from there like a fairy tale because... No, I've forgotten. I wrote the story. He you goes, wrote the story. I'll he, fill he, you he, in. He, His he, mates tell on him. So Bobby Charlton... Oh, that's right. Goes up to, he says, he's your uncle. And... He goes in for tea at Lord Mayor's Parlour and has tea, and then he runs home, he runs home, his mother's frantic, just about calling the police, and he says, yeah, Mum, Mum, I've been having tea in the Lord Mayor's Parlour with Bobby Charlton. She gave me such a whack. It's the only time the whole day he told, and it's about the, it was everything that Just William was. It was anti-hero, working class, and just hated football, and it seems to have captured some kids' imaginations, you know. I mean, there were at that point, he'd sort of become, as you say, Ian, it became quite trendy football at that stage. Albert Finney put a scene in from a box uh, at Manchester United when he was trying to connect with his son. And there were one or two other attempts at that point. But I always felt the problem, of course, and I I actually uh, devised one which went on TV later called All in the Game, which was loosely based on Gary Lineker going out to Barcelona and so on and so on. But again, the problem is you then run into the bigwigs of television who go, oh no, we can't do that. What I wanted to do was feature all the bungs and all the corruption that was going on behind the game. But of course they said, oh no, we can't do that. We'll lose the TV rights if we put that on. So that all got scrubbed out and it becomes fairly bland then as a result. But you always run into the problem of action, don't you? Yesterday's hero didn't do badly. I mean, I thought... But you but shot the at football. Wembley. You were into... We co- shot... No, no, no. We didn't shoot... Did... We shot at Ipswich Portland Road. Yeah, but Road. The, wasn't the, the No, we final. didn't... No, that's the film from Wembley. We didn't, never shot at no, Wembley. No, no, but, you, but you, the pretense was that... Yeah, the, the pretend co- was. Yeah, was the same shirt. Final. But yeah. it was actually... Yeah. It's not seamless, but it's pretty good, the juxtaposing of real football right. with the, some of the stuff in the, And then the actual filming we did on the grounds or whatever. It's still hard to replicate. I mean, I remember the thing they did on club. United, the Dundee United, United yeah. good, which I, that was my second favourite team. Actually, yeah. that was, people hated Le- that, but Le- I love that Leeds team. Fabulous. A Manchester United supporter, I, yeah, Leeds. but I love that Leeds team. They were a much maligned team. I mean, and that cloughy thing about saying you've all cheated now. That bullshit. I mean, cloth was. I mean, to think Notts Forest won two. European Cups. Oh. I mean, amazing. Nottingham Forest. Don't play Nottingham Forest, young man. What? Not Notts Forest. You Nottingham cannot Forest. say Notts Forest. I can't even from Manchester. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> 
I want to pick up on on the practicalities of filming sport anyway. And my contention is that boxing always works because the action is contained within a ring. And when you look at it on a cinema screen, it looks very much like it looks on television. If you look at, you know, yesterday's hero or anything that's fictional that you're trying to make Stoke City look like, you know, something completely different. Yeah, exactly. It's difficult because it doesn't look the same. It's the same. I, I wrote and produced a film about cricket, village cricket, admittedly. But the point is that where you put the camera when you want to film the actors is not where you put the camera when you're covering a game for television. Yeah. So it never looks right. So you put the camera behind the bowler or at mid-off. And it looks completely wrong, but it's right for the for the it's right for the right shot. Yeah. And the same thing applies to football: is that unless you've got that wide shot from the gantry, people don't recognise it as being football. So what you do is you have lots of sliding tackles and close-ups and so on, but you can't really replicate for acting purposes the wider shot of a football match in progress. No, do you remember Sylvester Stallone and Michael Caine and one of the that most fabulous? They all look like they've been on a diet. Not diet, they were all prisoners of war and they all weighed about 15 stone, didn't they? It was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Michael, who I love dearly, but like, I mean, Michael's well, never, but never Michael played Kane football in his being, life. Kane was being doubled by, by Kevin Beatty, which yeah. is rather peculiar because you know, the close up player. The close up was Michael Kane and the feet were actually those of Kevin Beatty. All the Ipswich players, actually. Russell Osman was in that show, I think. Yeah. Eric Gates was in that. But, uh, but the. <laughs> But Arthur Muren, that was who played. Sylvester Stallone yeah. was absolutely classic in goal, wasn't he? With some wonderfully hopeless dives oh, after the ball and so on. But of course, you you talked about the boxing. He could do the boxing. Oh yes, absolutely. But being goalkeeper, no, he couldn't get there. Escape to victory. Escape they to show victory. it. They were four 0 down at half time, and they said, "Shall we go now?" You know, on the no, no, we're going to stay and win the match. Did you remember? The winger was someone like Paul Van Hempst. He was a Belgian international and he was drafted in as an actor on this because they, they needed a Belgian prisoner of war as well. Directed by John Houston, who is obviously a great director. This wasn't his finest film. No, it certainly it? wasn't. The other, the other bit that did come from that era, of course, and this is just like before, if you watch the POW films, you know, of the 1950s, they normally starred Jack Warner or someone the wooden, like the wooden that. Horse. They all played football, but it really was hopeless. Yeah, but These... all the Cockney spoke then with the biggest actor. Co- all right, fair cop, governor. <laughs> <laughs> fair cop, governor. Yes, I'm guilty. I, the, I cannot deny it. These were I all lovies playing POWs, weren't they? Over to you, Charles. Well, it was a bit like that. Again, Wilfred Lawson is known to have made the other remark on... Do you remember the story from Zed Cards, which is live TV? By then he was hopelessly drunk, but whatever. But they brought him in, and like in the station, and I think it was, what do you call him, Lynchy? Oh, yeah, Jimmy Ellis. Jimmy Jimmy Ellis. Jimmy Ellis is there, whatever. And they bring him in, he's got no lines, and he's drunk, and they lay him on a bench, and then they bring a girl in, soaking wet. Suicide, Governor. And from the back, a voice you hear, which is Lawson, she was like, I'm drowning, drowning. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it's a whole other world now. Yeah. Footballers' Wives. It's always appealed to soap opera. Yeah, but what they do in Footballers' Wives, and of course in a series that ran on Sky for a long, long time called Dream Team, they concentrate completely on the stuff away from the pitch. And it became tabloid ease. I, what was actually more interesting 
was the shagging and the relationships between the, well, footballers' wives said it all. That's what it was about. It's about the footballers and their wives and their personal lives and all that sort of thing. Dream Team was the same. And then you've got Ted Lasso now, which I think is the worst crap I've ever seen. People love it. Yeah, only Americans. It was nothing about the game. They went to the White House promoting mental health. I mean, about this Ted Lasso, this character you want to go, he wouldn't last 10 seconds in a football game. A guy worrying about this fictional team from Richmond, this sort Richmond. of really weedy... Richmond weedy, gives it away, doesn't it, actually? I got Richmond, but it's just that they love this middle class. It's like Americans now are taking... I mean, I don't think the Liverpool lot have done a bad job. What do you think about their ownership, John? Um, they didn't I think bad... American owners, in many ways, have been better than some. It depends which one you get. Well, exactly. You know, the problem is they're funded, of course, by private equity. They're borrowing. Oh, exactly. Borrowing. So, so the borrowings have been very high. The Glazers are not a great example. No, they're not. But other American owners, you say Liverpool, have been decent. And having said that, they were the prime movers of the Champions League. That's scary. And yeah, John, I mean, that was the Super League. And John Henry, John wanted Henry wanted to, yeah. he wanted to get rid of the club, the well, Super League, the, the, having The maximum failed. profitability at this Correct. stage of Correct. capitalism. I, I want to ask McShane about the, the difference in American perception of British football then and now. Because when I lived in America at first, it was in 71, 72. And if you wanted to watch football on television, English football, you had to watch it on Channel 34 which was a Mexican yeah, channel, remember, yeah. and it was in Spanish. Yeah, Univision or... Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was in Spanish. I still uh, watch some of this stuff. But has Ted Lasso symbolic of a change? No, it's not Ted Lasso, it's just everywhere well, now. You go, if you go in America, the last few years I've got up in the morning, you get up at 4.30, it's a game at 4.30, game at 6.30, game at 8.30, game at 10.30. I mean, literally, you can, go, you can watch any game you want. But, but in the non-British circles in which you move in Los Angeles, is... British football as significant as we think it might be to Americans now. No. I mean, a lot more Americans watch soccer than they did because they put it on, you can avoid it. It goes on, I think there's one show every Saturday morning at 10.30 mainstream time. Otherwise, it's on on cable, but that's okay. I mean, you've got so many channels now, you don't know where to choose from, you know. You don't know if you're overlapping, paying for 19 games at the same time. That's what the strike's all about. Yes. No, I mean, yes. this is the same part of the same thing. When you had COVID came in, Netflix were the only people making money, right? Subscription. Because nobody was going to the cinema. And, of course, all those bosses panic instantly. Oh, nobody's going to the cinema. It's all dead forever, whatever. So they all rushed into the streaming game. And now they've got all these streaming apps. Nobody knows what covers what. There's no residuals because Netflix refused to say who's watching. Mm. And they're refusing to share any profits, so that's why this will go on and on. I want to reference a football show that that I'm sure you've you've seen, but it doesn't come up very often. And it's written by a friend of mine called Stan Hay, fantastically good Liverpudlian supporter. And Stan wrote two or three series of The Manageress, which was way ahead of its time, as we now see, because Sherry Lungi plays the manager. That's right, yeah. You know, and Stan knows his football, no no question about that. He also wrote All in the Game. He also wrote, there you go. And Stan created this woman football manager in 1990 when the classic football manager of 1990 was probably Ron Atkinson you know that so that's how far away they were but he, exactly but he was way ahead of the game and I think the influence of, of of women in football was changing and I'm sorry that that showed it had Warren Clark in it Warren Warren, yeah, Warren Clark, Clark our very good friend it, yeah. he was the owner and she was the manageress yeah. 
It was a very good show. Warren was keen football fan. Warren was also in City. all City. in the game. And originally the intention was for Dennis Waterman to be in. Dennis also did. It was faction, if you like, the story of West Auckland winning the World Cup. The first World Cup ever was sponsored by the boss of Tipton, Lipton's, Lipton's Tea. Tea. Yeah. Of course, they wrote to yeah. the British FA saying he wanted to do a World Cup. And the British FA said, well, certainly not. I mean, we're having nothing to do with this. So they wrote to West Auckland Football Club and West Auckland Football Club went out and played in the World Cup representing England <laughs> and won it. And Dennis played the captain. It's a true story. It's called the, ca- the captain's true, true story. They're all minors. West Auckland were an amateur yeah, club. Yeah. They went out there and they won what was, in some people's versions, the first World Cup. And those players were offered professional contracts by Italian clubs at that point. John, yeah. what was that? Was it the English game? Or was that, it was Eton versus the... Oh, that no, was no, one that Colin worked that's on. Oh, you I, were, I wrote, I that, yeah, I wrote some of that. Oh, Colin, congratulations. With Stan Hay, actually. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? It could have been better. Is what I... <laughs> OK, OK. Well, that was very <laughs> As watchable. a writer, that's bound to say that. Yeah. But actually, talking about writing, and let's move on slightly to the printed page for a moment, which is... Which is cause, uh, yeah, by the way, I didn't tell you with Bobby Charlton's story, yeah. I had to get his permission... Well, I rang him. He was a Preston. He's Mr. Charlton at Preston North End. Right. And I rang him up, and he came on the phone to my surprise. And I said, uh, "I've written this story." And I, oh, I said, "You're really good in it. You're such a hero. Can I have your permission?" And he said, "Oh, we oui, go, son." Now I thought I didn't really meant piss off. I don't, I'm wasting my time. Or yeah, go and do it. What I didn't tell him was it was already in the Radio <laughs> Times. It had been recorded. But thank God he did like it. McShane mentioned the book that I'm very fond of, even though I think it's inaccurate. It doesn't seem to matter. We're talking about the David Peace's book, The Damned United. Oh yeah, great. And Leeds United. Now, I read that book for the first time quite early on before the fuss arrived. It's the first book ever that I read again from page one, as soon as I finished page one. And I knew it wasn't right because the portrait of Clough as this drunken sot wasn't anything like the reality of Clough in 1973-74 because, you know, we saw him on Parkinson a few days after he'd been sacked but leaves and he looked fantastic, you know, he looked really yeah, good. There was a decline later on. There was a decline later on but not that... should have been... No, but, was, but he's writing about the Leeds handled, time when he was absolutely it? fine. It was all well, badly handled. The Damned United was actually brilliant in capturing the character oh, of Clough. Yes, yes, yes no, exactly. Yeah. The way but it got him but, later but, on. Great. That is what he became. Clough, by the end, became this parody of himself, sadly. But the Damned United did actually capture his character and the nature of his relationship with Peter Taylor as well. I thought uh, the film did a really good job, actually. I thought, you know, that what they did in that. Michael Sheen was great. Absolutely Sheen brilliant was really, impression. Really, really good. Though John yeah. McGovern said he sat in the cinema and watched The Damned United and he closed his eyes and as far as he was concerned, Clough was in the theatre with him because he was so good. But yeah. isn't it amazing that those players never performed for anybody else like that? I mean, Robertson was a one-off. Genius player. I mean, what a player he was, you know. Shilton and Robertson, between the two of them, they, yeah. they were the world But all players. those players overachieved. McGovern, O'Hare, mm-hmm. they all played up out of their skins for him. We discussed this in an episode we've done recently with Martin O'Neill. Clough had power over people. Yeah. His main thing with players was to make them believe they were better. And in doing so, he also made them subservient. He almost cast a spell over them. John Robertson, when Clough arrived at Forest, was a nothing player, but he turned him into a great player. And Robbo, who I know quite well, and I've related the story elsewhere, 
because of where he'd come from and because of what Clough had done for them, he actually lacked the belief that if he went elsewhere, he could do it. If you look at Gary Birtles, who went from Forest to Man United... United. Terry Wake's first words when he was released. Yes. Gary Birtles scored Gary Birtles scored yeah. But all that, John, when you're talking about that, all great managers or motivators of people, how they do it. Busby, I mean, Matt's great gift was silence. Mm. My dad once said he went into his office to ask for a raise. I said, there, Matt's nodding his head. He said, you say to yourself, well, it's... It's his office. I've got to get out. <laughs> <laughs> it's where, where agents came from. And where I started out, there was a fellow who played for Notts County called Mick Jones. He died uh, last year, I believe. And he was the captain of the Notts County side, Notts County, Nottingham that County. came up right from the lower divisions all the way through, got into the Premier League. So the players said, someone's got to go and see the chairman because we need a bonus for going up. So Mick Jones was elected and he was sent in to see the chairman, who was Jack Dunnett, who was a Labour MP who used to drive up from London in his Rolls Royce, dump it on the outside of Nottingham and then take an Austin 7 into town. (laughs) That's a great story. Typical football chairman. Anyway, he went in and Jack Dunnett listened to the story and Mick Jones thought he was doing quite well. And he said, my brother's a miner and he's earning more than I am. And Dunnett looked at him and said, Mick, Mick, you don't want to go back to be a miner, surely. (laughs) (laughs) And he just crumbled and walked out. I want to reference one more writer of of fiction. And that is the man whose short stories I was hugely influenced by. His name is Brian Glanville. Oh, I love Brian Glanville. Glanville's short stories about football had had just the ring of truth. John, you always liked Glanville's stories. Of course. Glanville was, in McIlvenny's words... The worst footballer ever. We used to play him in the Sunday League. Yes. He had his own team. Well, Chelsea yes. Cashman. Chelsea Cashman. 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 Yeah. We yeah. were down there. We used to play against him. He was a terrible footballer. Yeah. But I like Brian. I mean, he just loved the game. He did. He loved. Yeah. Michael Venny's oh. great story about Glanville was that although he was the worst footballer ever, he obviously fancied himself a bit and organised the team. And he was at one point doing an interview after an England game. And George Cohen was describing how he'd had problems with the West German winger. And Glanville, listening to this intently, then said, I know just what you mean, George. I had the same problem last week against Nat West, third 11. <laughs> I went to see the Dear England the other night, which is fabulous. It's have you really, seen it? Colin didn't like it. It's interesting. It's transferring to the, oh, yeah. the West End. What's West great End. about it is they've got a whole new audience. I've seen your phones out. Absolutely You've right. got people who've never seen a play before who are going to the theatre. From that point of view, and the levels of enthusiasm, very, very impressive. Very I didn't think the play like that, itself Graham. was that brilliant. I still think it was slightly patronising view. I don't know. I kind of liked it. The sort of, you know, England the last 10 years, the almighty expectation is always too heavily put upon the team. And they put upon Britain in general. I mean, I like the allegory of whatever. Yes. Know, this England yeah. talking. And I thought she was great. Gina McKee. I just thought the whole evening was a really good, if you like, a populist evening in the theatre that worked on a lot of levels. There was good. a large female element in the audience as well. My wife, who hates football, actually enjoyed it very much. Because it's got nothing about football, in a sense. It's everything to do with and nothing to do. It's about everything. And I thought the players, the guys who played the players, stayed 
just about right. Not caricature, not quite caricature. Not quite caricature, but they played it so they're recognisable, and I thought they did a good... Terrific. How many times can you do a penalty on stage? I thought it was too long. And also, I, I, I found it lacking in any kind of conflict because you know, you know all the results. When the results flash up, there's no, there's no tension. You're taking there. the football thing too far because it's not, it's, you know. Well, actually, I thought it was actually going to be, because of the title, I thought it was going to be about national identity more than it was. I'm glad they didn't have it. I thought he managed to sort of not make it too heavy a... You know, I throw everything against the wall. Well, he managed it because it's difficult doing that kind of reality-based theatre and coming away with like either too pompous in it, George. I mean, yeah, you're a writer, yeah. you know that. You know, where I, you know, I really, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. I really. Oh, do. I'm looking forward. I'm really, I tried really to see it at the national. I, could, I just couldn't get tickets. No, it's sold yeah, out. Sold yeah. out. Sold. But I mean, Fever Picture is a great book. Yeah. Yes. It's just a shame it's about Arsenal, who I have a, an absolutely irrational hatred for. Never been relegated. The southern newspapers always play them up like whatever. But there you go, that said that. But the, the book fever, which is really good, the film was terrible. I thought the first hundred pages of the book were absolutely terrific because they, they captured the idea of being a football fan really, really well and the amount of passion. And Nick Hornby is a genuine Oh, yeah. Genuine no, Nick fan. Hornby is absolutely... That's right, I love him. The thing that surprised me about that book was that he didn't become an Arsenal supporter until he was about 13 or 14. I cannot remember my life it was before part, becoming a Manchester City supporter. I mean, from the age of three. Of course, the conceit there was this connection between father and son which is a lot of it about football, about our relationships, intergenerational Absolutely. relationships. Sons who can't sometimes connect with their fathers when they're young, they get taken to the football match and there is well, a connection. And it gets that, the, the reason I've stopped going to football was when my son Danny, I used to go with him. Yes. And when he was off doing other things, I didn't want to go to football on my own. Is yeah. it possible, Ian George, to capture the essence of football as it is played on television or on film. No. Once you become fictional, does it lose its credibility? Every film has got to be about something. I mean, if you talk about football, it's used as a backdrop for something else. So if you just got a film about football, it doesn't mean shit unless within that you've got sign of personal story within it that the audience can identify with and then they see the broader picture and they assume that part of it. The yeah. film that really works for me as a sporting film, coming from a very good sporting book, is ironically called This Sporting, this sporting Life. Life. I watched Rugby League. I think yes. it's yeah, super... Yeah. And, yet, and it's directed by a man oh, who knew yeah. nothing. Power Rice. No. Lindsay Anderson. Lindsay Anderson. lobbed... But Harris's performance it's, and Rachel's performance, they are two of the most devastating And the shooting of the scrum. Yeah. You know, oh, when he's in the scrum. But he's also a great writer, David Story. David Story. Both Harris it. and Story. Harris was a proper rugby player. And Story had been, he I believe, he played. played. And Harris is so raw. It's, mm. yeah. wow. It has what it captures absolutely. Captures the sport. It does. That's the sport I grew up with. I mean, I did go to rugby league quite a lot, but it's captured the sport in the north of England in the 1960s better than any film I, I've ever seen. I agree with you totally. But those films, those the three films made then, which are just Albert's... Saturday Night, Saturday, 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 Sunday Morning. Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, Kind of Loving. Alan, Alan Bates. Alan Bates, yeah. Kind of yeah. Loving. Yeah. And then you've got... Tom, we've got Tom. Tom, Tom Lonely's the longest yeah. since Runner. Yeah. yeah. And they're all terrific. But you were part of that... Gener yeah, both well, of you... Well, a little later, but John Hurt and I did a movie, which is The Wild and the Willing, but it was Rank's version of The New Wave. That was the new English wave, if you like. It was, absolutely it was. We did a one for Rank, which is great. I mean, you know, The Wild and the Willing, but it wasn't anything like that. Ian, what you're not saying is 
you didn't even complete Rada. You went off to do the Wilder the Willing. Oh, well, he never was, finished the course. I know, but that he was, was funny. spotted. He was no, spotted. I, went, I went off to do yeah. a screen test. Told them, I said, I've got to go to the dentist tomorrow. <laughs> so I went off to do a screen yeah. test. We arrived on a green line bus in Oxbridge <laughs> at our Pinewood Studios. Excuse me, I'm here to do a film test. That's what he wanted. Oh, just a second. I'll just get. Oh, yes, Mr. McShane, go on. We're expecting you. Then you did a film test with Virginia Maskell. Yes. And Samantha Egger, then the next day they phoned up and they said, you got the part. So I went in and I said, sir, I lied. I didn't go to the dentist. I went for a film test. Long pause. I said, and they just called me and I've got the part. Pause. John Furl says, you realise if you do this, uh, John McShane, that uh, we might not give you your certificate. <laughs> to which I said, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Hang up. I said, what, on a shingle? This allows you to hang yeah. up the shingle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it did. Certificate, yeah, anyway. <laughs> but it would, I'm just saying, but the difference was like, those directors, as he said, Carol Rice... It's Woodfall Films. Yeah. They are the ones who made, made Tony Richardson. That was the drive yep. to make those marvellous films. I mean, Saturday night Sunday morning. I, uh, oh, I, I oh. was in love with him, but shame, but no, I fell in oh, love with Albert oh, Finney. Albert Finney, gosh. He looked like a freshly rosy apple. We used to drive up to games together. In the 90s, when I was, when I was living here for a full-time during Lovejoy and all that, we should drive up together and talk, because he was from two miles down the road, you know. Salford. Well, you're the real thing about, in terms of actors and football supporters. Do you feel that, that the acting profession now, which, which boasts, I think, a lot of alleged football supporters, do you think that it's all genuine? A lot of them are... They can get to the game because of their... Even when Geoffrey Richmond became chairman of Bradford City, suddenly yeah. he was offering me tickets to go because I was on TV. I think there's an element of you can go to the big games because you know, you are who you are or you've got contacts. My choice of London teams is Spurs. I mean, that's kind of like, they're tolerable. Chelsea I've been to, lots of friends, that's a showbiz team, but I've always yes, wanted Chelsea here it's stopped. I grew up, I mean, I'm a little different because I grew up with a game. My dad took me and then my dad stayed in it. I knew all the players. I went to school opposite the ground. Well, George, Ian and John, of course, thank you so much for being with us on this fictional edition of Football Room My Life. I think we've covered a lot of territory. More important, we've had two people on the show, both well-known actors who really get football in the real sense of the word. And I'm really pleased that, that, that you're with us. So thanks to both of you for coming on the show. It's been great. And to everybody for listening, because we'd rather depend on you. And please let us know if I've made a terrible mistake in inviting people like McShane and George Layton. And I've lowered, the, like I've it, lowered the tone of the whole exercise. I'll enjoy an audience. <laughs> I don't know. Whoever listens to it, if you don't listen to it, fuck off. I don't know. Who cares? We had a good time talking well, about football. We think, thank we, you. We <laughs> think our listeners are really important. And we'd like to know what you think. And you can tell us by writing to footballroommylife at gmail.com and tell us how marvellous the actors were and what lovely, lovely, lovely people they really were. What lovely lovies. Absolutely. <laughs> and we will see you next time on Football Room My Life. Podcast Network.